Well, good evening. Good to see you guys tonight. It's fun to be back with you. Had a blast with you last uh, Saturday evening. It's fun to come back. You know, one of the things I liked about last Saturday evening, I had a chance to kind of reacquaint myself with some people that I love and know and have known for quite a while. But it also is really, really cool for me to be able to meet some people for the first time and uh, for them to meet me for the first time, me to meet them for the first time. I met somebody last week for the very first time. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. And uh, I love what they said. They come up to me and they said, hey, you did a really good job for somebody who's just filling in and doesn't do this very often. And I thought that's pretty interesting, right? But I love the fact that I had a chance to meet uh, some people for the first time, and some of you even here tonight. we got a lot of work to do tonight, all right? So I want you to grab your Bibles uh, if you have them. If you don't and want one, there's some at the back table. And I want you to open them to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, page 950 in those Bibles that uh, we provide here. And uh, if you're someone who doesn't feel comfortable navigating a Bible, we're going to throw most of what we're doing up on the screen so that you can kind of follow along with us. Now, as you turn there, I want you to lay that in your lap. You can open your programs, and there's a place in there that uh, you can take some notes. I think there's some things worthwhile writing down tonight, okay? Uh, as you do that and lay that in your lap, I just want to let you know that after being here last week, my wife was here as well last week, and uh, we went home and kind of uh, went through the evening together, and I just need to be honest with you, it brought back lots of memories for me. Um, I shared with you last week that uh, my wife and I were part of a church plant in Indiana. It means uh, we started a church from scratch with 15 people. And we spent two years meeting in a school. And uh, so being here, watching Set Up, Tear Down, and meeting in a school brought back tons of memories for us. And I want to tell you guys something. If I could just go offline here and just talk to you. Uh, I really believe this journey that you're on is going to be one of the most challenging yet exciting together at the same time. I think that there's going to be things that are going to be challenging, but I think there are things that God is rubbing into you right now that you don't even know that God's doing even when you're unaware. It made me think back at our time of school, two years in, in the school, and I remember a gal was coming to our campus there in Indiana, and she so desperately wanted her husband to come. I mean, she begged him, pleaded, when he wanted him to come to church, he wanted nothing to do with church, right? Nothing to do with church, nothing to do with God, all that stuff. He was very skeptical, and she just passed her and passed her and passed her. And uh, I'll never forget the Sunday, we were meeting Sunday mornings in the school, he shows up. And he shows up, and I was excited for her, and I was excited to go meet him, and I knew he was kind of skeptical and tentative, and so I went out to the hallway so that I could introduce myself, we could talk, and he was holding one of their kids, a little boy. And I'll never forget this, you know, we had gotten everything all set up just like here, and I'm talking to him, trying to make him feel comfortable, and that little boy he was holding reached over his shoulder and grabbed the fire alarm and pulled that thing. (laughs) Fire alarm went off. We had to evacuate the building. Services canceled that day. Now, here's the deal. I thought to myself, I can't believe that happened. We'll never see that guy again. That's what I thought to myself. I want to tell you something because you never know how God's working, right? That guy became one of my best friends in Columbia City, Indiana. And that guy ended up becoming the guy who led us in worship every Sunday. It's amazing how God worked in his life. So whatever challenges you might face along this way, God's at work, right? We know that. We learned that last week. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're at. Uncommon joy is what we're talking about. And uh, as we talk about uncommon joy, I asked you a question last week. The question I ask you, if you're meeting somebody who's uncommon, 
So we had to define it, right? Uncommon means something that's not often seen, felt, or experienced. Remarkable, out of the ordinary. So we just started this way. You ever met somebody with uncommon attributes, uncommon abilities? And we kind of had some fun with that, right? But then we said, more importantly, have you ever met somebody who's got an uncommon attitude? Maybe more specifically, an uncommon joy, kind of a a remarkable joy, a a joy that's not often seen, felt, or experienced, right? And and we said, have you ever met somebody that's met a joy that's not kind of this superficial, be happy attitude once in a while, right? But somebody who has a joy that's like runs deep, like it's anchored pretty deep in their soul. And, And it's not just anchored deep in their soul so that they have a joy no matter what's happening out here, but they kind of got this joy that kind of freely drips out of their life and splashes on everybody they come in contact with. We said it's the kind of joy that, that, quite frankly, our society yearns for, longs for, chases after, because we said that we live in a society that too often steals our smile, right? And so we're on this journey. The book of Philippians is about this journey for this uncommon joy. Here's what's fascinating about the book of Philippians that you have laid in your lap, that we're being led on this journey by maybe a very unlikely person. Because he's writing the book of Philippians, which is just a letter, by the way. He's writing it from jail. So he's going to teach us about an uncommon, remarkable, out-of-the-ordinary joy from a jail cell. And he's writing to people he knows, right? He's writing to a church that he planted, church at Philippi. And so here's what we said last week. I'm going to catch you up in three minutes or less. We said this uncommon joy that we long for, yearn after... Paul, the guy writing it, says this, that uncommon joy, the secret to it, is found in an uncommon gospel. That's where, I want an uncommon joy. Where do I find it? In the gospel. What's the gospel? It's all about grace and peace. That's how he starts his letter out. Grace is this, I get what I don't deserve. Well, how in the world does that work? The gospel says when Jesus died on the cross, that whole story, that he died in my place. He died for my sin. He died because God loves me and Jesus became the sacrifice in my place. It's amazing. That's grace. I can't work to be a Christian. I can't work to get saved. I can't work for forgiveness. It's something that happens when I trust the work he did on the cross. And and so that's grace. And then peace is that thing that happens that I experience that I can't explain. That I have this peace of God. That's the gospel. Uncommon joy is found there. And Paul says when you and I have this uncommon joy, there's several things that start to sprout in our life that he is a model of. First is this. I can really, really appreciate other people. When I have an uncommon joy, other people, they can either steal my joy or they can feel it, right? And so I I can really appreciate him when I have this uncommon joy. Not only that, and some of you talked to me after last week, and this one's a hard one, but all of a sudden I can see that my problems have a purpose. That's hard, isn't it? I mean, I'll just be honest about it. Paul's in jail, and he starts to look around, and he's like, wow, I see there might be a purpose to my problems. He sees that there's people he has a chance to share Christ with now that he didn't have a chance to share Christ with, and he recognizes that other people are encouraged by the way he's walking through his problems. And then he says this, then he says this, that, that when I have an uncommon joy, I get passionate about what really matters, right? And he ended it with this, it develops in me a win-win attitude. For me, death can't even steal my joy. For me to live is to have purpose to die is to get a promotion. And that's what he says, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Here's what he's going to do tonight, okay? And we're going to fly through this, but he's going to turn his attention to them. 
And he's going to say, okay, that's kind of how it shows up. And so I want you to have that uncommon joy that comes from this uncommon gospel. Because when the uncommon gospel of Jesus Christ produces joy in your life, it's something that you need to protect, preserve, and cultivate. And so how in the world do I do that? Well, look at your Bibles. We're just going to go through this verse by verse. Chapter 1, verse 27. You with me? Here's what he says. He says, whatever happens, he's talking about to me, he's in jail, conduct. Now, if you write in your Bibles, I'd recommend you do. I'd circle that word conduct. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Why in the world did I tell you to, to circle the word conduct, okay? Here's why. It is a fascinating word. Some of you may not know this and you can forget it for later, but the, the New Testament was written in a language called Greek, okay? You, you can forget that if you want. But, but here's what's interesting. Conduct to us is kind of a vanilla word. It's like, okay, conduct, what's that? But in the Greek that it was written in, there was a richness to it. It had, of all things, a political flavor to it. You're saying, okay, Dan, what difference does that make? Well, what the word means is this. It kind of had a political flavor to it. It means this. Behave as a citizen. As a good citizen. Well, that would have meant... Now, now, that would have meant something to the people he's writing to. You know why? Philippi, the place that he's writing to, was a colony of Rome. He's saying, Dan, what's the point? The point is this, that the people who lived over here in Philippi were citizens of Rome. They had all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of a citizen. It's why Paul chose this word. What's he saying? That if you and I want to cultivate and preserve this uncommon joy that comes from the gospel, I want you to write it this way, then we need to live on earth as citizens in heaven. This is huge. That's what he's saying. In the New Living Translation, here's how it puts it. Above all, you must live as a citizen of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news. Here's what he's saying. He's not saying, he's not saying live on earth to earn your citizenship in heaven. See, when you and I place our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, in him as our Savior, bam, that minute we become citizens of heaven. That's what the scriptures teach. And what Paul wants them to get a hold of is, while you're alive here on earth, remember that you're a citizen there. Would have made sense to the people in Philippi. They lived in Philippi. They were citizens in Rome, right? And so here's what he's saying. You're still living here on earth, but if you're a follower of Christ, you're a citizen in heaven. And so live in light of that. The gospel secures your citizenship. You are part of this community that God is building. So what in the world, what in the world does it mean to live as a citizen in heaven while we're still living here on earth? Well, I think the Bible talks about this all over the place, right? But Paul in Philippians, we're just going to stay focused here. He says there's two ramifications of that. Okay, you ready? Let's just see what he has to say. Look at verse 27, the latter part. He says, Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. What's he saying? If you and I are going to live as citizens in heaven while we're still living here on earth, it means that we're going to live to extend the gospel right now. That's what he means. 
you're a follower of Christ and you want to preserve, protect, and cultivate this uncommon joy that comes from an uncommon gospel, I think what Paul is saying is this. Then, then that uncommon joy is cultivated and protected as you recognize that we live now to extend the gospel. He says, I want you to strive to extend the gospel. I have a daughter that just graduated high school. And so I've heard um, several graduation speeches. And one of the, there's a very, very common quote that people use at graduation time by a guy named Mark Twain. Many of you may recognize it. It goes like, it's a good quote. Here's how it goes. The two most important days in your life are the day that you are born and the day you find out why. It's an interesting quote, isn't it? I think Paul might have said it this way. The two most important days in your life are the day that you're born again and the day you figure out why. I think what Paul is saying is this, is that it's not just enough to know what you're saved from. That's pretty cool, right? We're saved from our sin. We're saved from the penalty of our sin. We're saved from all of those things. But I think what Paul is saying is, it's important to know what Jesus saves us for. And I think what Paul is simply saying here is that, that, that heaven is our permanent home and earth is our temporary assignment. We are his ambassadors. Think about it this way. I, my mind works kind of weird sometimes, but you ever stop and think to yourself, why is it that when somebody becomes a Christian or a Christ follower that God doesn't just, bam, take them to heaven? Do you ever think about that? Like, it seems like that'd be like easier, right? I mean, some of you are like, man, that sounds like a good option, right? I mean, why in the world does he leave us here? It's like, okay, we trust Christ, this incredible message. He's like, bam, why can't he just transport us? Beam me up, Scotty, you know, let's go to heaven. So I was talking to a guy, this is years ago, and he asked me that, and I said, well, that's a great question. And this is, this is what he said to me. He said, Dan, think about it. If, if I read my Bible right, there are two things that we can't do in heaven. You ever think about this? I said, well, yeah, what are those two things? He said, well, the Bible seems to be very clear that sin's not going to be in heaven. So sin is not something we're going to do in heaven. I'm like, okay, that seems like an obvious one. And he said, if I read my Bible right, there's something else we're not going to be able to do in heaven. And I said, what's that? He said, once we're in heaven and we come to the end of things, it's like we're not going to have the opportunity to share the gospel with people who haven't embraced the good news of Jesus. And then he looked at me and he said, I don't know, which of those two things do you think Jesus left us here for? Well, that's an interesting question. I'm pretty sure it's not to sin, right? You see, here's the deal. An uncommon joy is rooted in a purpose. When you realize your purpose here, I'm a citizen there, it helps you live with an uncommon joy here. And there's two things that he says that are important in extending this gospel. Don't miss them in there. Do you see what he says? I hope that when I come back, I find you striving to share this gospel. It means this, that extending the gospel now is intentional, it's purposeful, and it takes effort. Now, I want to ask you a question, then I'll, I'll, I'll move on. Those of you who are Christ followers in the room, can I ask you a question? Who is the one or two people in your life that you are intentionally, purposefully extending the gospel in their life right now? 
I'm convinced of this, that many Christ followers begin to lose their joy because they want to get excited about knowing the gospel. They want to get excited about how they can live the gospel. But if we don't somehow find a way to give it away, we forfeit joy. We get robbed of joy. I think that's all Paul's saying. But he doesn't stop there. I want you to see this. Look at verse 28. He says, Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you'll be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only, check this out, to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Guys, that is mind-blowing. What's he saying? He says, well, if I'm going to live as a citizen in heaven while I'm still on earth. I'm going, to, I'm going to live to extend the gospel. And then I'm going to live expecting there's going to be opposition. I think that's all Paul's doing. He's saying, manage your expectations. Don't be shocked when not everybody buys what you're selling, when not everybody jumps on the train you're riding. That's all he's saying. He said, don't be surprised. He's simply saying this, if you aren't real about your expectations, there are going to be disappointments that are going to lead to resentments. And he said, you can count on. He's saying, that's what you were called for. And he says, when you're a follower of Christ, this uncommon joy says that you can endure suffering with security. You can walk through hard things with hope. He's saying that there's going to be times when it's evident that you're not a citizen here. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. You ever been to a foreign country or been somewhere where you didn't grow up and, you know, the people talk different and the people had different customs? Last week, after Saturday night sharing with you guys, I had somebody come up to me and this is what they said. They said, where are you from? I said, why? They said, because you obviously aren't from around here. I said, why are you saying that? They said, you talk funny. Is what they said. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, there's certain things I say that are different than y'all saying, right? So I'll give you an illustration. I say water instead of what you say. I say crick instead of whatever you say. And I say warsh. I grew up in the mountains of Pennsylvania. I didn't grow up in Ohio. In the mountains of Pennsylvania, we wash in the creek with water. That's what we do, okay? Here's the deal. My accent gives me away, right? I'm not originally from here. I love living here. I, I, I try to blend in, fit in, get along. But sometimes my accent gives me away. Here's what I want you to know. Sometimes, because you are a follower of Christ, your accent, so to speak, is going to give you away. There's going to be things that you value that maybe aren't going to be popular. There are going to be convictions you have that maybe aren't going to be what everybody else holds. There's going to be priorities that you embrace that are going to be like, wow, why in the world do you arrange your life that way? Peter puts it this way, okay? You don't need to turn there. Peter says that while we live here, it's kind of like we're foreigners and strangers. It's like we're pilgrims is what he's saying. Now, here's what he's not saying. I want to make sure I'm clear on this. I said it first, Gavin. He's not saying, he's not saying that as Christ followers, be weird. That's not what he's saying, okay? And you don't need to raise your hand. Anybody met weird Christians, okay? Anybody ever met? He's up here. I've met him, right? Sometimes Christ followers can just like go out of their way to be weird. The best way you can apply tonight, if you're weird, 
please, please stop being weird. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying this. That there might be times when not everybody's going to embrace the faith that you cherish. There might be times that what you value might go against the grain. There might be times that the things that are priority to you are confusing to others. And he said, don't be shocked. Don't be shocked when opposition comes. Don't be shocked when not everybody jumps on board. He said, I want you to live as a citizen in heaven while you're still here on earth. Now look at your Bibles. Let's go to the next block of verses. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. What's he saying? If you want to preserve, protect, and cultivate this uncommon joy, I want you to write it this way. He's saying, empty your life for the benefit of others. I want you to just word it that way. Just empty your life for the sake of others. I would say this, that the uncommon gospel found in Christ that we talked about last week is the very thing that frees us to do that. Outside of that, we're not even free to do that. He's saying, I want you to empty your life. Why? Why is he saying that? Well, I think what he wants us to see is that without an uncommon joy that springs from this uncommon gospel, we're not free to do it. Now listen close. I want you to get this picture. Because our egos are empty and they're constantly drawing attention to themselves. He says, I don't want you to do anything out of selfish ambition. It's got to be all about me. And vain conceit, which is really empty pride. It makes me think of this. Paul, the guy writing this, Inflated, extended, swollen, and calling a lot of attention. You follow what I'm saying? And I think, and I, I first read this in a book that Tim Keller, if you guys ever heard that author, he wrote a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And he was explaining this. And I think what Paul is saying is, I want this to be a graph, it's kind of a graphic word, because I want you to think of your egos that way. And when you begin to think of your egos that way, it makes sense. Because if we really think about our egos as extended, inflated, empty, always drawing attention, here's what we know. Our egos are empty and we all by nature are always, always looking for ways to fill them up. Right? I, I, I gotta find a way to be validated. I gotta find a way to, be, to impress others. I gotta find a way to somehow fill myself up. I gotta find self-worth. And so here's what we do. For some of us, it's our looks. For some of us, it's athletics, right? I gotta find a way to fill myself up. For others of us, it's intellect, it's position, it's money, it's our kids. But we gotta find ways to fill our empty egos up. And so what we do is this. I mean, you already know this to be true. We do it in several ways. One of the ways we do it is we fill our empty egos up by parading our accomplishments. You ever been around somebody like that? They're always talking about who they are, what they've done, right? I mean, ad nauseum, you're like, man, you know? Because somehow it makes me feel better, right? Another way we do it is, is maybe it's not parading our own accomplishments, but it's about, by comparing and competing with others, 
So the way I build myself up is I put you down. And, and our egos and our pride by nature are competitive. So what really makes me proud is that I'm a little stronger than you. I'm a little faster than you. I'm a little smarter than you. I'm a little... Ri- See how that works? It's like somehow I can compare myself, feel better about myself, and it feeds my empty ego. But here's what our... Think about this graphic illustration. Our egos are empty. We're always looking to fill them up, parade my accomplishments, compare with others, put others down. And here's what I know. That just like an organ, you don't have to go too far with this, that is bloated, swollen, and in inflated you ever you don't have to answer this but you ever been like that it's not like you have that phenomenon going on in your body and like you don't feel it our egos are the same way they always 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 draw attention to themselves you follow what i'm saying and that's exactly why i always feel mistreated snubbed overlooked It causes me to walk into a room and my first thought is, how do I look? What impression am I making? What do others think about me? Do I look stupid? Am I doing the right thing? And every experience becomes about me. And here's what I know, that not only does it always draw attention to myself, but it becomes easily bruised. So if you say something offering encouragement or constructive criticism to me if my ego is empty inflated I can hardly take it because my self-worth my value is wrapped up in it what Paul is saying is this is that when I have an uncommon joy what was empty becomes filled with this uncommon gospel don't miss this I don't need to constantly look for validation I find my validation in the gospel I don't need to constantly look for self-worth and identity. I find it in the gospel. And when I'm full of this uncommon gospel and this uncommon joy, I can then empty myself for the benefit of others. See how that works? And two things happen. It's in the passage. I'm not making this up. Harmony and humility. Do you see it in there? He says, I want you to have the same love, the same purpose. I want you to be like-minded. You know what harmony is? You ought to write this down. Harmony simply is this. I can stop competing with you and I can start cooperating with you. You see, when my ego's empty, everything's a competition. Right? Everything is about how I can draw attention to me. I need to get credit. I want people to notice what I've done, right? But see, when I am full of this uncommon joy that comes from an uncommon gospel, I, I don't need to compete. Well, heck, we can cooperate. Well, you mean Matt might get the attention and we did it together and I put in the same amount of time as him? Yeah. It's cool. Hard. Right? That's hard. You see, I think that's what Paul's saying. It's like, when I got this uncommon joy, there's harmony, but there's also humility. You know what humility is? You ought to write this down. It means I can stop promoting me and I can start serving you. It means I don't need to promote Dan. When I have this uncommon joy that comes from this uncommon gospel, I have an inner peace. And it's a peace that I can't explain and it comes because I have received this grace that I don't deserve. 
And so I don't always have to be thinking about me. I don't always have to be thinking about how I'm going to validate me, how I'm going to somehow impress others with me. I've been validated. I have been impressed in the gospel. And so now I'm full. And here's why Paul can say this. So when you are full of this uncommon joy, I want you to value others above yourself. That's a head scratcher. Right? And like, huh? I want you to, to remember something I said tonight. Genuine humility is not thinking less of me. Listen close to this. I think sometimes our culture has a wrong idea of humility. Oh, I'm not that good. Oh, I'm not that smart. And somehow that's humility. That's not humility. It's not somehow putting myself down, having a low self-worth or self-esteem. That's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of me, but thinking about me less. Big distinction. And I think all Paul's saying is this. When I get full of this uncommon joy that comes from this uncommon gospel, I can then begin to empty my life for the benefit of other people. I can empty my life for my spouse. I can empty my life for my kids. I can empty my life for the people in my neighborhood. I can empty my life. You fill in the blank. So here's what we said so far. Paul says, I want you to live on earth as citizens in heaven. I want you to empty your life for the benefit of others. And then he has something else really, really important to say. Let your eyes jump down to chapter 2, verse 12. Here's what he says. He says, My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Paul says there's one more thing about this uncommon joy. There's one more thing I want you to do to protect, to promote, and to cultivate this uncommon joy that's found in uncommon gospel. And here's what he says. I want you to write it just this way. He says, stop whining and start shining. That's an interesting way to put it. That's what he says in the verses we just read. He says, stop whining and start shining. It's interesting. At the core of this section is the idea of when we have an uncommon, uncommon joy, it's kind of like our lives shine like stars against the backdrop of a dark night. Isn't that interesting? It's It's uncommon. There's something that makes it stand out is all he's saying. And he begins by saying there are things that can somehow cause you to stop shining in contrast with that dark backdrop. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying there are things that we classify as whining. Look what he says. He says, do everything without what? Complaining. That's interesting, isn't it? Don't run past that. Can I ask you a question? Don't answer out loud, by the way. Are you a complainer? Be honest with yourself. Are are you an Eeyore? There's always something wrong. Oh, dear. It's going to rain today. I can't believe... You you, you a complainer? 
I, I read this somewhere. See if you can find yourself in here. There's different kinds of complaining. Are you a whining complainer? That's somebody who says, life's not fair. The refs are always awful. People are always cheating. Maybe you're a martyr complainer. I'm saying, what's that, Dan? Nobody ever notices me. I always get overlooked. People are always using me. Maybe you're a cynical complainer. Well, what's that, Dan? Well, people are always looking to cheat you. You can't trust anybody. Nothing will ever change. Maybe you're a perfectionistic complainer. What's that like? Well, if I want it done right, I'll do it myself, right? Maybe you're a self-fulfilling prophetic complainer. Like, what's that, Dan? Well, you ever had anybody come up to you and say this? Well, you know, Dan, I don't want to complain or anything. You know what's coming next? A complaint. You see, all I think all Paul's saying is this. When we complain, somehow we stop shining and we start whining. But he doesn't stop there. He says, don't argue. Quit arguing with each other. And I, I, I think what he would say if he was here, I, I don't think I'm taking this too far. I think he'd go two ways with this. I think he'd say, listen, Barberton Campus Grace Church, don't waste your time arguing with each other. You need to know something. If we truly have an enemy, which I believe we do, his name's Satan, you know what he wants to do? You know what his number one ploy for you will be? It'll be to divide you. It'll be to cause you as a church to argue about stupid things while not putting your energies in the most important things. It's, it's why one of the saddest things for me is, is, is to see churches that are arguing about stupid things while people around them go to hell. I mean, it's like, really? I think all Paul's saying is stop whining and start shining. But I, I don't know that he would just say stop arguing with each other. I think he might, if he was here, say don't get caught up arguing with people who don't call themselves followers of Christ about things that quite frankly aren't productive. I mean, sometimes Christians can do like crazy things and, and, and they can picket and, and petition and they can yell across the street at people who have different... And it's like, really? We stop shining. And we start whining. What Paul says is, I want you to stop whining, quit complaining, quit arguing. And he says, I want you to start shining. Well, how do we do that? I think there's two things here. The first is found in verse 12. You see, he says, continue to... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. What's he saying? I want you to write it this way. I, I think what he's saying is you're going to start shining, work out what God's working in. Let me make sure you understand something. When somebody becomes a follower of Christ, the moment somebody believes, accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Lord, here's what happens, okay? That moment, Spirit of God resides in that person. Spirit of God inside. And what Paul would want us to know is this, that that Spirit of God is at work. That's amazing. He's not saying work for your salvation. 
Let me clear this up tonight. You might be hearing like, wow, you know, I've been a bad person. What do I have to do to work to become a Christian to get God's good favor? If that's you, if that's what you're thinking, I'm, I got good news for you in some ways. And it says, stop trying so hard to work for your salvation. Quit trying. We said last week, you cannot make your peace with God. God took the initiative to make peace with you. That's why Jesus came and died. And when Jesus died on the cross, he did the work necessary for salvation. And the way for me to become a follower of Christ, a believer, is to trust what Jesus did for me as my Savior. What Paul is saying here, I want you to work out what God's working in. Work out your salvation. And the word is, the same word is, is somebody who would have mined a mine and, and drawn out of it all of its treasure. Or a farmer that will worked its field and, and got all the harvest and the fruit he could out of that field. What's Paul saying? He says, I want you to draw every bit of treasure out of the fact that God's working in you. I want you to work it out. I want somehow for you to pay attention to how God's working in your life through his word, through other people, through circumstances because he is at work. He has a purpose. He is literally transforming your life. That's how you shine. Right? Now, do we like all the lessons that we learn, all the ways we get taught, all the ways that he's... No, it's not like, hey, man, that was a cakewalk, right? Sometimes it's like tough. He's like, God's working in you. So work out what he's working in. Don't ignore it. Don't turn a deaf ear to it. But then he says, I want you to live in this crooked and depraved generation as children of God. What's he saying? I want you to write it this way. He's saying, live in the world without being of the world. This is so important. Paul says it. Jesus says it. And that's this. He says that a follower of Christ is not to insulate. Right? is not to somehow isolate, but to infiltrate. Let me ask you a question. When does a star shine the most brilliant? When it's against the backdrop of a dark, dark night. Isn't that interesting? I think that's all Paul's saying. He's like, let that light shine. Live in the world. Figure out a way to allow this world that is hungry, searching, wanting that uncommon joy, let them see your life. So, Paul says, live as citizens in heaven while you're here on earth. And empty your life for the benefit of others. And quit whining and start shining. Which sounds great. Okay, Dan, great. I'm going to work really hard to do that. Like, how do I do that? Right? Look back. We're going to land this ship in two seconds. But you've got to look back at your Bibles because the key to the whole thing is found in chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what I want you to write down and we're done. How do I do this? 
my picture and my power are found in the gospel. Write it down. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. We have a gospel that is the very picture of the life I just described to you. Did you ever think about that? The ultimate citizen of heaven, Jesus Christ, the ultimate citizen of heaven, decided to leave heaven to live here. Why? Well, the Bible says that he came here to seek and to save the lost. And here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 12, that he endured opposition, but he walked through that opposition because of the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? Don't miss this. It was you. 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 The gospel is the picture of the life I just described. That God came and put skin on. His name was Jesus. And the Bible says he didn't come to be served, but he came to what? Serve. And to give his life a ransom. See, we have a gospel that pictures exactly what I described, but it's not just the picture. Don't miss this. It's the power. You want to live this life? The gospel is the power. You're saying, Dan, what do you mean? Listen close. And, and, And this is my last... You cannot live as a citizen of heaven unless you are a citizen of heaven. You say, how does that happen, Dan? It only comes by trusting what Jesus Christ did for you. You, my friend, can't empty yourself for the benefit of others. Eventually that will wear out if you have an empty, inflated, swollen, always drawing attention to a self-ego that's trying to validate itself, find identity and self-worth, it will wear out. And you cannot shine unless the gospel has ignited somehow in your heart and in your life. You see, the gospel is the picture and it's the power. I'm going to invite the band to come out and I'd love for you just to to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to pray together. I don't know some of you in the room and and, and that's a good thing to be honest with you because I don't know where you're at and how God might be leaning into you but don't waste this moment. You're not here by mistake. It's not a coincidence. You're here on purpose and I don't know what all God wants you to see but the truth is you might be here and saying, Dan, I don't have that uncommon joy because I've I've never embraced the uncommon gospel. Well, I'm so glad you're here, if that's you. You can there in your seat talk to God. You don't need to talk out loud. He, you just talk to Him in your heart. And embracing the uncommon gospel is simply you saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself and I believe Jesus came and died in my place. I believe that He voluntarily sacrificed His life for my sin. Tonight, I trust Him as my Savior and I believe He's alive. I trust Him with my life. Listen to me, friend. If you somehow had that conversation with God tonight, I beg of you to let us know that somehow. 
I beg of you to let us know it so we can pray with you, we can be helpful to you in the journey, but at that moment you become a citizen of heaven. The Spirit of God begins to work inside of you as His child. Some of you are here and you're followers of Christ and yet you've allowed something to rob your joy and maybe it's because you've been living as though this is your permanent home. And maybe God's word to you tonight is simply, hey, you're a citizen in heaven. This is your temporary assignment. Maybe it's because you've begun to allow pride to work its way in and trying to validate yourself and the uncommon gospel simply says that it's in the gospel that we're validated and find worth and identity. Maybe you came in here tonight and, and you've been sucked up into whining and complaining and you've stopped shining. I think my question tonight is simply this, if you are a follower of Christ, who is it that you are intentionally, purposefully extending the gospel in their life right now?